What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. You're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming on iTunes and at Facebook.com slash DCAU Review. Now, here's today's episode. Hey everybody, it is episode 8 of the DCAU Review. I am your host, Cal Renner. Along with me today, as always, my brother, good friend, and co-host, Liam. Welcome to episode 8 of the DCAU Review. I'm excited to be here. We've got a very special attraction today. Our first non-Batman the Animated Series regular episode. Yeah, I'm excited. Episode. It's closely tied into it, though. Um, We talked about doing this, just kind of breaking up the monotony of just talking about different animated episodes. And we'll start to get some variety in here in the next couple episodes forthcoming. So uh, we decided to celebrate... Uh, are uh, making it to eight episodes by talking about Batman Mask of the Phantasm, uh, which, of course, is the first full-length animated Batman feature film uh, to debut. And it came uh, in about the second year of the Batman animated series. Uh, It was based loosely off of some of the characters from the Batman Year 2 comic book uh, that came out uh, five or six years before that. And uh, really, is it's it's an interesting film to sit down and watch uh, because you take what we're used to your twenty two minutes of Batman animated uh, storyline, plot, music, and voice acting, and you stretch it out. This movie is uh, what do we say seventy six minutes? Seventy six minutes. So you got an over an hour's worth of of Batman animated series. So it's and it's. They do a pretty good job of making it feel not like a extended episode of Batman the Animated Series, but an actual feature-length film. Yeah, absolutely. From from the moment this uh, from the moment the movie starts, the atmosphere is bigger. the The score is bigger. There's it's still the Batman theme that we know, but it's sung by a choir. Yeah. Um, and there's a really good uh, really good atmosphere that they establish really early on. Uh, the lighting is done very well. We've talked about that on some of the, the uh, past episodes. It's sort of the lighting, the shadow work is a little inconsistent at times on the on the animated show, but this was a feature-length film, and so they had their time. They had a larger budget, although I think you could uh, you can look this up. It's uh, They didn't have as big a budget as perhaps you would think for, for yeah. a, a Warner Brothers animated theatrical movie. Um, they were sort of told at the last minute, I, I guess this was originally supposed to be a direct-to-video feature mm-hmm. that was then sort of at the last minute decided it was going to be released in theaters, so they were yeah, kind of... they had to, to kind of hurry up and yeah, change they, a few things. Yeah, they had to scramble, so... But, uh, yeah, all things considered, the the all overall atmosphere, it is, as you mentioned, it doesn't just feel like a long episode of the show. It feels like Batman is a different person by the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the characters, the main characters of Batman and, and Alfred, to a lesser extent, are, are absolutely changed by the events of this movie. 
and uh, and we get more insight. We we talked about that in Nothing to Fear and 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 a few other episodes of really deep dive into who Batman is, why he feels he needs to do what he does, and sort of the the tragedy of that character. Absolutely. Yeah, it really does a good job. Obviously, with a with a longer runtime than a, your typical episode, it does a good job of uh, really going into and exploring Batman's psyche, who he is, why he does what he does, and even the internal battle uh, that's faced between you know, can this guy ever be happy? You know, is he? Uh, it's established very early on in this uh, in this movie that he. You know, has made this vow to his parents, and he feels like it's not just you know a promise that he made to him. He calls it a vow, which, when you think of that, is you know a legal, legally binding agreement <laughs> almost. Like you think of marriage as, as it's wedding vows. It's something that you're getting up in front of of, of your friends and family and making this promise for forever. So he's making this vow to his parents that he's going to avenge them. And, you know, he struggles with this throughout the movie. It's this psyche, psychological issue. You know, can he be happy giving up the Batman mantle? Is he allowed to do that? Would his parents want him to do that? Or would they want him to to spend his life avenging their death? So it's it's a really cool exploration it's, of that. Yeah, it's a balance between he's trying to honor, as you mentioned, this vow he made. He's keeping his word. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, looking at it as... I can't do this. He actually says this almost word for word. He's like, I can't be Batman if there's someone waiting for me to come home. Yeah. Um, Which is... That's that's, that's deep. And that's really, you know, the idea that he doesn't, to an extent, see... Doesn't feel like he has the the tools or the the temperament to ever be truly happy. So his place is to do what he does so that everybody else can be happy, so the rest of the, the good citizens of Gotham can can live normal lives. He, he will take on this burden so that, the re- so that everyone else doesn't have to. Absolutely. Um, and, so this, and so to see that sort of him fighting with it and see him fall in love and, uh, and start to kind of question that and, and then a very human emotion of, of wondering, you know, is his ha- is his own happiness? Is his own love? You know, is that more important than this <laughs> vow he made? This promise he made? Is it worth breaking his word in order to to find to have this one last chance at happiness for himself? It's super deep stuff, and you know we've said this over and over again that you know this is more than just your regular children's cartoon. We were talking yeah. before we started. Uh, today's episode that uh, you had gone back and watched uh, Siskel and Ebert actually gave this two thumbs up yeah. um, but they actually had missed it in the original theatrical run came back and did it when one of the other live action movies came out but you, you mentioned how they mentioned that this was something that kind of proved to them that animation isn't just for kids yeah and that that might seem a little strange in, in hearing that with 2018 years because sure. I mean the Pixar movies have come out and yep. you know, there's there's animation is a beautiful tool yeah. and that's what it is it's a storytelling device and the idea the basic idea that oh well if it's animated it must be for children of course is silly right uh you know it's a storytelling device you can tell your story as adult or as child friendly as you want to yeah. and it doesn't if something is child friendly that doesn't mean it's not a good story or right. it isn't a deep story or you can't ask thought-provoking questions so uh, yeah i i i'm it's this is this is a uh, just a really great job of uh, of like I said setting up the atmosphere, telling a story that 
that means something and that changes who our main character is by the end of it. Absolutely. Now, since this is a feature-length film and it's a little bit longer than normal, we, our episode might be a little bit longer today just because we have a little bit to, more to talk about, but we'll try and keep it to our normal time length uh, out of respect for our listeners. But So uh, let's go ahead and jump right into uh, the plot, Liam. We're, we're going to break down, just as we always do with the episodes uh, that we watch from week to week, uh, we're breaking it down, judging it based on our four main categories, which are? They are plot voice acting, animation, and music. And, of course, we also have the bonus category, where if something that's not covered in those four main ones or if something we just really need to give a little extra props to something, we can we can throw an extra point or two. That's um, right. So starting off with plot, uh, I had plot at 7 out of 10. Okay. Uh, story's mi- story is uh, by Alan Burnett, who... Mm-hmm. He's a, I mean, you probably know his name. If you're listening to this podcast, you know who that is. Right. <laughs> but he doesn't, his name doesn't get mentioned, I think, as much as it does, as it should sure. when we're talking about the, the names that mean the most to the DC animated universe. Yep. Um, the work that he did on Batman You Beyond. hear a lot of Deanie, you hear yes. a lot of Tim, um, you hear maybe some Radomski. Yeah. And, not, and not a uh, lot of Burnett. Yeah. And I mean, and he didn't. Uh, Burnett really never had his breakout show like the way like a guy like Glenn Murakami had Teen Titans, so he sort of broke out. He was a storyboard artist and a producer on Batman Beyond. Then he got his own show and yep. made made his own thing. Where Burnett ne- maybe ne- didn't necessarily ever have that moment. Or James Tucker when he did Batman: The Brave and the Bold. That's right. you know a very unique, very unique. Uh, so Burnett didn't didn't necessarily have that moment of you know where it was his, clearly his brainchild, his baby alone. Right. And so I think maybe his name just doesn't get mentioned as much as it should. But I mean, he has credits going back all the way to the Super Friends show. Wow. And uh, and obviously he, he he the story is credited to him here. I think the the screenplay also has Paul Dini. And, mm-hmm. uh, and a few other names attached to it. So I'm sure it was by committee, but just want to mention, yeah, Al- Alan Burnett does a great job. He mentioned he wanted to tell a romance story because that really wasn't something that had ever been covered in in the, the Batman episodes they'd done to that point. And mm-hmm. really, aside from you know some flirting with Catwoman, and I guess we get a little bit of the, the Talia stuff later on in the Rachel Ghoul episodes, there's not really a ton where we ever delve into the idea of Batman... You know, he has maybe trysts or, you know, flirtatious moments, but sure. uh, certainly in World's Finest, he, you know, sort of has a relationship with Lois Lane, yeah. funny enough, considering <laughs> who voiced the Phantasm in this episode. But yeah. um, but this is really the deepest dive we get into the Bruce Wayne, to Bruce Wayne's, you know, romantic life. And yeah. it, it's it's sort of offset by, the you know, the first scene where we, we see Bruce as him sort of being surrounded by... Uh, airhead uh rich <laughs> rich girls who are all sort of throwing themselves at him and he's sort of rolling his eyes and and not interested right you know is sort of the vapid elite <laughs> elite of gotham the heiresses and and other rich girls of gotham who don't who haven't really ever caught his eye or that he somewhat uses in and i mean not no uncertain terms right he uses them to to sort of keep up his playboy image sure. and for nothing else so seeing that sort of contrasted with this this deep love that he had for this woman Andrea is really is really uh, is really strong. Um, so yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Burnett. That was so this you know this is basically his brainchild. Yeah. And as you mentioned, there's definitely some influence from the the Batman Year Two book mm-hmm. and and 
I'm sure other other places as well. But uh, yeah, just a, a really fun plot. Um, he also we we were reading up on it, and he he wanted he made sure that while they included the Joker in this story, and Joker plays a super pivotal role in it. Joker wasn't the main person that they wanted to focus on about this. They he wanted a story that revolved around a character that wasn't a part of the typical Batman Rogues Gallery. Yeah. So he's able to, and I, I think he does so very effectively in this uh, movie. He's able to bring in the Joker, but the Joker isn't distracting. The Joker plays a a, a uh, supporting role, and he does it well. He doesn't overtake the movie at, at any point. Um, and he's he's used very well in a way that's effective. It doesn't distract from the main plot of the movie. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, there's not a lot of times when Mark Hamill's Joker isn't gonna steal the show. Sure. Um, and I mean, and not that he isn't. He's great. He's great yeah, he's, in this, and we'll and we'll great. get into that when we talk about voice acting. But uh, yeah, he is he is a part. He was sort of the the muscle for one of the old mobsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he is sort of sort of he's connected and you know potentially it's not actually shown but it appears he may have pulled the trigger on he might have been the man who actually killed physically killed andrea's father right um so he does have a pivotal part to play but yeah he is uh he's introduced probably 45 minutes into the piece he's Mm -hmm. not this is very much batman and andrea's story it's not he he's an important part of it and he you know he becomes you know sort of the the villain at the end for Batman to vanquish, but sure. but you're but that's an absolutely great point. Is that this is very much focused. It's it does not lose focus, and uh, for an animated feature, as you mentioned, the, to really stay focused and not feel like just a couple episodes of the show loosely, yeah, you know, so sewn together uh, to keep that coherent and keep that focus. Uh, really, really excellent job. So yeah, I went ahead and gave it a seven out of ten just because I thought there was there's a little bit of meandering. There's the the character of Arthur Reeves, who's sort of this slimy congressman who was uh, Andrea's father's accountant, mm-hmm. and sort of eventually it turns out that he sort of sold out the Beaumonts to the mob in order for to fund his original political campaign and. Uh, so, but it, it, he gets a lot of screen time and I feel like maybe that screen time could have been better used. Maybe yeah, he's fleshed. not, he's not fleshed out very well for the amount of time that he gets. Yes. You don't know very much about him and, and until the final, you know, 15 minutes of the movie, you kind of figure out that he's, yeah, he is sli- as, as slimy as you thought he was. He's that slimy. Yeah. So for that reason, like I said, I went seven out of 10. Uh, I mean, it's still very strong, still really enjoyable story. The flashback sequences are are absolutely great. They're beautifully written. Yeah. Um, it really, really makes you feel like you, you fall in love with this girl the way Bruce does. Like it shows yeah. you this is right. Like I keep coming back to like, it's not, it's not a fling. It's not a flirtation. Like it, you know, like a lot of times it's portrayed with Catwoman and him in the comics. Like, like he loves this girl and it absolutely tears him apart to the point where that was his last chance at happiness. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned Alfred is uh, very often sort of pushing, uh, you know, pushing Bruce to uh, to not be Batman. We, I think, if you've seen the uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman films, that's a pretty recurring theme. Is yeah. he wants he wants him he wants the very best for Bruce, and he knows that isn't a life as Batman. Correct, and 
so there's a lot of scenes of, uh, from when she when it's first revealed that Andrea is back in town and Alfred's hey are you gonna go see her uh, <laughs> and and Batman kind of gets angry at him and and yeah. and that that again shows in the flashbacks when when Bruce is he's encouraging Bruce to pursue this relationship with with this girl and and you know, telling him you're not going crazy it's it's the opposite like this is the first, like this is the breath of fresh air that Alfred's been waiting for right and then when uh, the engagement is broken off the the very next scene is Bruce putting on the bat cowl for the first time yeah and uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into animation and and sure in voice acting as well but again just this story of a guy this was this was Bruce's last chance to be happy and Again, you talk about a heavy subject matter for for a children's cartoon. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so so seven out of ten was my score. Uh, what did you give it? Uh, I gave it eight out of ten. Um, uh, again, for all those reasons that you just mentioned, um, I think that the story um, it, it it could have been I think a ten out of ten, but I think I think it runs into some issues where you have a lot of characters, you have a lot of moving parts. You have five or six different mobsters. You have Andrea. You have her father. You have Alfred. You have Bruce. You have the Joker added in. You, then you have the uh, subplot with the police going after Batman. And so you have Bullock and Gordon and uh, the the bumbling idiot SWAT team <laughs> makes an appearance again. Plus, uh, and we talked about this a little off air. The the sort of the overarching theme of vengeance as a whole, right? So the, I mean that you have all of that stuff converging. And for, I mean, you could look at it two ways. For, which is what I I ended up doing, you know. I look at it for the amount of things that they had in the movie itself. The theme, overarching theme of this, you know, vengeance. You know, is it Bruce is fighting for vengeance and he keeps coming back at Andrea with, hey, vengeance isn't something you should chase. And she keeps throwing it in his face. Well, Bruce, you're Batman and that's what you do. Like right. you're saying that I shouldn't seek that, but that's what you do. So you're pretty much a hypocrite here. So being able to flesh that out and seeing that the that Bruce, you know, kind of flesh out Bruce's character, we talked about that. Him having this desire to to like this is his burden to carry and he doesn't want anybody else to carry it. And not because he thinks he's the only one that can, but because he doesn't want other people having to carry this. You see that yeah. time and time again, you, you know, you, they explore that a little bit in the Robin's reckoning episode. And, um, you know, it's been explored in the comics time and time again in relationships that he has with his different Robins. and Even uh, uh, even going to Batman Beyond, mm-hmm. uh, where he's very reluctant to let Terry put on that Absolutely. suit. Because he doesn't want, he knows the life that is gonna, that he has to carry. He knows the burden that it is, and especially with Andrea's choice to kill, she's not she's not just seeking vengeance and justice. She thinks that vengeance and justice is done through murder. Mm-hmm. So you add an extra layer to that to what he knows or thinks that Andrea is going to have to carry once you kill people. Man, it's it's just yeah, man, it's it's a lot of stuff. They do really well. Um, I think you mentioned the Alfred and Batman dynamic being able to kind of, there's three different parts of it. You have the flashbacks where Alfred is very much uh, happy for Bruce. He wants him to, to pursue this and through it. He's he, he, even in the modern day when Andrea comes back into town, like you said, he wants him to seek this relationship out. He wants him to seek happiness. Batman, you know, kind of pushes him away. Well, you, you know, he does the, you don't know me very well, or you don't know me at all, <laughs> or you think you know me, don't you? You don't know me at all. It's kind of like, like a, well, you're not my real dad type yes. type of comeback to him, and then for Alfred at the very end, Bruce is down because he, you know, he, he thinks he 
he failed Andrea. He thinks that after all this, that it was his responsibility still to save her from herself. And Alfred gets down there at at his level because Bruce has got his head in his hands. Alfred gets down on his knees and he's just like, you can't save everybody. Like, you can try, but there's going to be people that you're not going to be able to save. I couldn't save her, Alfred. I don't think she wanted to be saved, sir. Vengeance blackens the soul, Bruce. I always feared you would become that which you fought against. You walk the edge of that abyss every night. But you haven't fallen in, and I thank heaven for that. But Andrea fell into that pit years ago. And no one, not even you, could have pulled her back. He also, he does a good job of explaining the difference between the Phantasm and Batman. Absolutely. He mentions that vengeance, there's an abyss that comes with seeking revenge and anger and hatred and murder. And Bruce walks the line but doesn't fall in. Or at least he hasn't yet. Right. But... Uh, but he mentions Andrea fell into that abyss years ago. Absolutely. There was no coming back for her. Yep. And it's it's great because even at that point, like, Alfred has come to the acceptance of, you know what, he's he Bruce has decided that happiness piece is something that he's never going to face, so I'm going to encourage him in, in, w- in the life that he's chosen to lead. So that's that's super cool. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think overall the plot itself... Uh, despite having all those moving parts, it resolves uh, pretty interestingly. I, th- I think the only thing that, that we talked about before we started recording that is kind of left unresolved and, and is, you know, is Batman going to have to take down Andrea at the end of this? Yeah. Is he going to have to fight her? Is he going to have to, you know, what is he going to ha- what is he going to do? Is she going to, is she going to f- make him face the choice of fighting her or, you know, letting her kill the Joker? And that's kind of taken out of her out of his hands because she just kind of disappears yeah so that resolution leaves you a little less satisfied especially knowing that they don't bring her back on the show at any point except for a, a cameo uh at the end of of justice league unlimited but she's she's just kind of done and it kind of leaves that well man you you don't know whether or not he was going to have to would he what would the choice he uh, you know he was going to make so for all those reasons, for the reasons that you mentioned, 8 out of 10, it's very great. It's a great movie. It's easily, uh, you know, of the Batman animated movies that have been made, it sets the bar pretty high. Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know that there'll be one that, that surpasses this. I haven't seen Sub-Zero in a very long time, but I remember when <laughs> when I watched that, I still thought Phantasm was, was much better. So there's yeah. a reason why people hold this to a... Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean, there's, there's different types like Return of the Joker. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoy that. Return of the Joker is great. Um, but that's a completely different style of movie. They're telling a different story. Yep. They're telling a different. I mean, it's a different design. Everything, everything yeah. is very different about that. And it was, it was sort of one of the first big connections they made between the old series and mm-hmm. and Batman Beyond, which had mostly been left to stand on its own. Uh, so that so, but for yeah, for the story they're telling as a standalone Batman story, 
there it does not get much better in animation than than this one. Agree. I, I think you you mentioned also the the plot hole of why the Joker just happened to pick the World's Fair of all places. It's very convenient. <laughs> yeah, that it works out because it's you know where Bruce and Andrea f- fall in love originally. Or yes, so it's it's an interesting interesting choice for of all places the Joker just happens to luck out and pick that place. But uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's a great movie. Yeah, and there's a, there's the a lot plot of, is good. Yeah, there's a lot of little touches like the Joker. There's a scene where the Joker and Andrea are fighting and. There, he reaches behind him to grab. You think he's going to grab this machete knife, and but next to him is a salami, and he's sort of reaching behind him, and and they show the hand going towards the knife, but then when he brings it up, he's grabbed the salami and chooses to hit her in the head with the salami, which is such a great Joker thing because it's yeah. still a blunt object, yes. and he still then goes and and beats her down, yeah, and they they sort of have a fist fight. They did not hold back on the violence in this episode. No, you physical could, violence. You could tell that they they had the freedom to show punching. They showed blood. Uh, the Joker loses a tooth in yes. a scene uh, that we'll talk about a little bit in the in the animation. But uh, there's there's they did not hold back. They had the freedom because it was a direct video movie or direct direct video movie initially, and then shown in the theaters. That they didn't have the standards that they had to follow, and they it it kind of showed you what some of that fun could have been had they not had to follow those standards of the yeah the cartoon. Joker would be doing a lot less tripping and falling. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is his enemy was not gravity in this one. His enemy was Batman's fists. Sort of. He does face gravity when Batman pulls him down on his jetpack. Yeah, so. that is that might be the other the <laughs> la- the other thing that brings the plot down a little bit for me is we're having this gritty crime drama of revenge and love and and this vengeance and all this stuff. And then in the middle of it, the Joker puts on a jetpack and tries to fly away. Yeah. And Batman swings up and grabs him and then they fall down. And then we're right back to the gritty, angry, right. love, you know, heartbreak vengeance story but sure so there's yeah there's a few little bits but obviously this is all this is all nitpicky stuff where we're you know you know we don't don't want to just have it be a, a total praise fest absolutely so, but absolutely. absolutely uh plot plot's excellent all right uh moving on so next the uh, next uh, topic we'll talk about is some voice acting and i don't think we need to to linger on this very much just because it's super consistent um it's everything you dreamed it would be of having a you know in 45 minutes of mark hamill joker uh <laughs> kevin conroy really does a great job of balancing his bruce wayne it, it i mean it's more of a, a bruce the flashbacks are all almost exclusively bruce wayne uh, so it gives a lot of shines a lot of spotlight. It shines a huge spotlight on uh, the Bruce Wayne character, allows him to to do some good voice acting in that role. But it also flips back to some uh, some Batman. The the, the non current points are a lot of heavy, or the current day, present day. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> The present day uh, focuses a lot on Batman, so it allows him to be Batman. Um, so it's 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 interesting. Uh, I, I gave <laughs> I gave voice acting because it's so consistent, it's so great. Um, nine out of ten. Um, the one thing I I will mention the Phantasm's voice, the choice to make it, they actually made it Carl Beaumont's voice, which is a uh, Stacy Keach, who's a pretty well known character actor. Uh, been on Prison Break, was on a sitcom that I loved called Titus. Okay. Uh, been in a million things, done a lot of voice acting as well. And, yeah, you'll uh, recognize his face if you Google him. Yes. He's he's great as Carl Beaumont, and then 
the fact that they made him the voice of the Phantasm. Gives you that misdirection that makes you think, yeah, could it be? Yes, it probably is. Whatever. It's an homage from uh, Andrea Beaumont to her father, whatever. Yes. But uh, yeah. So I, I gave voice acting 9 out of 10. Yeah, I also went 9 out of 10. Um, uh, really strong performances all around. You've already mentioned uh, how good Kevin Conroy was. He had a lot to play with here. The one, the one line he gives where he says to Andrea, "Andrea, what will vengeance bring? What like, will vengeance solve? Well, what will vengeance solve? Yeah, it's so, oh, so good. He delivers it so. Yeah, well. and she and uh, Dana, Dana Delaney, by the way, is voicing voicing Andrea AKA here. Lois Lane. Yeah, she's she's a legend. She's a DCAU legend here. In her first DCAU appearance, so that's a little jarring. It is because it sounds it's like Lois. Yeah. You, you mentioned you kept waiting for her to say Smallville, right? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like this is uh, if you if you if you're a fan of this, if you're listening to this podcast, Dana Delaney is Lois Lane to you, right? And so having her play not that character is is a little jarring, but it uh, she's she's excellent. Uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. hashtag my Alfred. The Alfred. Now more so than ever. Yes. In in this movie, really, really great work by him. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. that that final scene where it's very much the, the dad of the sitcom yep. sitting down, his kid puts his hands on his shoulders and just yep. tells him, "Hey, man, you did your best." And sometimes that's not good enough, yep. and we just got to move on and we keep and we keep fighting. Right. And it's it's such great. It's so great. And uh, so I also, like I said, I also went nine out of ten for voice acting. Mark Hamill, uh, the one of the final shots is the the explosions all go around and mm-hmm. Joker just sort of looks around at the explosions and uh, Andrea has him by the lapels and he just he lets loose the Joker laugh to end all Joker And it's it's punctuated by he's missing a tooth. Yep. So the and we'll get into that a little bit more in animation. But he, I mean, all time great performance by by uh, by Mark Hamill here. I mean, it's always great, but he really he brought his A plus game for this one. I agree. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. Um, didn't didn't miss a beat for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, like we said, he has limited time, but he's he. It's not that he steals the show in a distracting way, but he's. He's great. Oh, absolutely. He's, he does his job well. And this, uh, he does a great job in this episode of sort of doing that, that, that hard line that we've mentioned in past episodes of the Joker is funny, but right. he's also a monster, an absolute absolutely. demon. Absolutely. Like, they, and that's that can be a hard line to watch because you have this sort of, you can have like the Cesar Romero side where he's very silly and he's very yeah. over the top. At, or you can sort of have the more the Jared Leto, mm-hmm. where he's really weird and is you know plays with knives and stuff, and he's right. a little weird. Yeah, and I mean, and, not, and that's that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> but this walks that line between. Uh, I heard Paul Dini say it once on on one of the DVDs: the clown and the killer. Yeah, um, he's a monster. He's an absolute psychopath. But he has some legitimately funny lines in here. There, uh, so he yeah, Mark. Breaking news, everybody! Mark Hamill's great as the Joker, <laughs> but it 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 bears extra mention on this one. I would agree. Uh, perfect. 
All right, so uh, let's move on to animation. Uh, so animation for this episode, what would you give it? Uh, I went ahead and gave it an 8 out of 10. It's I said episode, but it's a movie. <laughs> uh, I've said that like four times. Yeah, I went ahead and gave it an 8 out of 10 for this one. Uh, it's really strong. There's a couple of really great sequences right at the start mm-hmm. um, where they where Batman sort of first revealed and it's time for cape movement corner, folks. Because <laughs> there's a lot of it in this movie. So much cape so movement. So much cape movement. And you know what the cool thing is? You got Because Phantasm had a cape, you had double the cape movement. Hashtag double cape movement. Uh, DCM. Um so much cape it's uh but it's so fluidly animated and the reason i bring that up i keep talking about it's like because that's such a part of that we know why you love it yeah but i still want to talk about (laughs) it it's such a part of who batman is and part of why his design is so cool and so when it's fluid when it's animated as beautifully and as fluidly as it is Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna keep mentioning it because it's great Uh uh-huh so So was there some specific cape moment that you loved or a specific scene that was there there's the scene where batman is it's raining out and batman is spying on andrea and Mm -hmm. arthur's dinner and it's it's animated uh it's animated really so he's holding up binoculars there's lightning striking so Mm -hmm. the colors keep changing and the cape's just flowing behind him and it's and then it comes into like a sort of a painted moment. It's very Fleischer Superman esque, mm-hmm. where it's a paint where it's the, the painted motion of his hands moving, but you still have the animated cape sort of in the background there. It's, it's, yeah, it's great. It's like a comic. It's a comic panel come to life. I can't pay it a higher compliment than that. There you go. All right, lots of cape movement. So you gave it uh, eight out of ten. Absolutely. Uh, what did you give it? Uh, I also gave it eight out of ten. I think there are. Um, there are some inconsistencies, and we talked about this as we were watching it. Um, there looks like there was two different storyboard artists, which once we did some research on the movie, uh, when they found out that it was going to the theaters as opposed to just direct to, to video, they had to kind of adjust some things and do some different storyboarding. So they may have used, and you can actually see this throughout the Batman animated uh, series episodes, uh, that they used a couple different storyboard artists. And based on that artist, Batman kind of has a different look. Batman there's one artist who draws him very similar to what we're used to the um all of the like file art of batman anything that you go to just type in like batman file art there's like a shot of batman on top of two-faces car or batman swinging and the, the penguin with a uh, umbrella underneath of yeah. it any of that classic card art that you see for batman the animated series there's an artist uh, one of their artists storyboard artist animates it that way he draws batman that way and it's animated that way and then there's another guy who draws it a little bit more realistic you know batman's nose of his cow is a little bit more pointy um it's it's hard he he in the batman costume looks a little more i guess realistic if you were going to say between the two but it's just more comfortable to see him kind of with that square jaw in the costume uh similar to how you would see bruce tim closer to how bruce tim draws him um so there's a lot of back and forth between those two uh storyboard artists in this movie there's different parts where different artists were used so there's a little bit of inconsistency and we talked about this before uh, we went on just about holding this because it is a you know 76 minutes of batman it's a full length feature it had a bigger budget albeit not much bigger but a bigger budget than a regular episode does we hold a 22 minute episode up to all these things we have to hold a, a, almost to a higher standard uh, yeah. but definitely the same standard uh, so because there's inconsistency in that i gave it 8 out of 10 
Uh, there's still a lot of great things. Um, I, I think the, the, um, the, you mentioned the rain scene with the cape movement in that. To me, we haven't covered an episode. There's an episode with two, the Two-Face two-parter. There's rain and lightning. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a couple other episodes that involve rain, water, and, and, and lightning. But uh, this episode, uh, this movie, uh, kind of showcases that for the first time. I'm sure that's not something easy to do. Um, the the lightning striking, that whole scene is, is great. Lots of nods to Max Fleischer. Yeah. Uh, Superman in this, uh, from the character design of Andrea Beaumont to, you know, a couple of, a couple of other scenes, like you said, that the motion painting kind of animating the, the painted backgrounds a little bit choice to animate the background in the one bat plane scene, as opposed to the, the plane itself is animated and the background was, was stagnant. It's, it's the opposite. So, uh, some good stuff there. Uh, they can't, they don't know how to animate that stupid SWAT team. I I don't know (laughs) if that, to me, that was the weakest point. I don't know if that, that scene was added, uh, towards the end or, or what the deal was it was rushed but there's not as much detail in it the SWAT team looks super goofy they act goofy they're dumb I just if I never see that SWAT team again <laughs> I'll be happy um, but uh, we, we you mentioned it a little bit before about the, the debut of the, the Batman costume so yes that scene is animated incredibly simply uh, sim- simply simply <laughs> yes uh, but it is uh, there's not a lot going on. It's Alfred and Batman. Batman is completely in the dark the entire time. You don't see Batman. You don't see any blue. It's black and gray the entire mm-hmm. time. He puts on the mask. You see Alfred's reaction to it, and that's it. We watched that that scene tw- twice or three times because it was yeah. so good. Yeah, and it's they don't do a lot it's not it's not a ton being done they didn't have to go over the top they didn't show the batman costume at all Mm -hmm. they just show him putting it on they do a close-up of his eyes and he he squints a little bit so his eye shape change it's just so good it's it's great uh it sort of uh, briefly mirrors the the opening to the batman the animated series cartoon the where it's the close-up of his eyes, his eyes sort of scrunch down, mm-hmm. and then it flashes to Alfred looking absolutely horrified it's at what he's seeing. He even says, my God. Yes. <laughs> it's And again, what we were talking about before and why this added so much to that, that subplot of Alfred so desperately didn't want Bruce to go down this path. Mm-hmm. He wanted to see him be happy and, and, and raise a family and be a normal guy and find happiness. And But he... But in this moment where his head is heartbroken, he knows now that his one, his one, the only thing he has left is to go back to this vow that he made. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that scene, uh, the scene of him putting on the suit, also for continuity's sake, it is the suit that he wears in the flashback sequence from Robin's Reckoning, where yeah. he's got the pocket belt. Yep. And it's, uh, it's so. That it's, suit 1.0. Yes. So we don't get to see a lot of that suit in the. In the animated series, but it was a nice little bit. It's not the same suit that he wears in the, in the regular show, so I thought that was a nice little little yeah. little little detail. They they didn't have to add, but they chose to, which I, which I appreciated. And uh, only other scene that stands out for me animation wise is when he's he goes to his parents' grave in the rain, mm-hmm. and the rain's hitting him, and his hair is wet and sort of falling down into his face, and he's he's crying and he's telling them how sorry he is and it'll be a shot of his very expressive Bruce's very expressive face and then it'll flash to the grave and you'll just see lightning strike mm. so it's the idea of him 
basically pleading with his parents. I mean, he he literally says, "I need it to be okay. Yeah. I I need it." And we'll we'll talk. Uh, I mean, we talked about that in voice acting already. Um, I need it to be different now. I didn't count on being happy. Yeah. And but but the only response he's getting seems like anger. Right. It seems like his parents are sending lightning to him <laughs> to uh, to tell him that he's failing them right. or he's going back on his word. And yeah, so that that scene. But the, and the beautiful to me, the thing that stood out in that scene is that Andrea walks up. Like you mentioned, Bruce is standing out there in the pouring rain, the lightning storm, just soaked from head to toe. And she walks up, and she has an umbrella, and she says, you know, she comes over and she puts the umbrella over him as if to like protect him from this just outpouring of. It's so yes. poetic. It's so great. The other great one is when he proposes to her, and they hug, and immediately a bunch of bats come out from the cave. Yep. He Under- thought, <laughs> yeah, it's. He thought that was yeah, it. So but. the symbolism that they do there, and a lot of that is heavily reliant on the animation to hold, to hold up to that. And as great as the voice acting, as great as as the music is to an extent, it's really reliant. You need that A plus animation, and those scenes especially do not let you down. Absolutely. All right, Liam. Uh, let's take. I'm gonna. We're gonna take a quick two minute break and come back. Um, and wrap things up with our music segment and our final scorecard. Welcome back. Uh, we do have an extended episode today because we're covering Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, we are going to wrap things up here with music in just a second. Uh, just as a review, we have our plot. Uh, I gave it 8 out of eight out of 10. Liam gave it 7 out of 10. Uh, voice acting, we both gave it 9 out of 10. And our animation, we both gave it 8 out of 10. Uh, so we're coming in the home stretch here with music. And uh, Liam, I'm not going to lie, going into it, I was kind of... Uh, anticipating or hoping for sort of a large presence for music in the movie. And it starts off pretty strong uh, with a scene that you mentioned. The animation doesn't hold up very well, yeah. but you have the introduction of the Batman theme, and it's done in a choir, with a choir yes. as, as the backup singing the Batman theme, which is super cool. Um, but I only, as I was taking notes throughout our time viewing it, I only noticed really six points or so in the 76 minutes of the whole movie of where music seemed to make an impact. Um, that doesn't speak... Again, we talked highly of the plot. The mm-hmm. plot moved the film. plot didn't necessarily need the music to advance it. Um, but I felt like... I don't know. They kind of missed some opportunities to use that music to really enhance certain scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically... Uh, you have the scene of the graveyard that introduces the phantasm uh, where he comes and kills the, she comes and kills the mobster and the theme and the, the music in that scene is very spooky it's very subtle um, and that seems to be the theme for the phantasm throughout the movie 
And it's, I think it's okay initially because you're kind of introducing this character, but I really wish they would have done something to create a theme song that kind of resonates like they did with the Joker, like they did with Catwoman, like what they even did with, with Two-Face, um, that you have a theme that kind of sticks with them because to me, in my mind, when I'm thinking about the theme song from the Phantasm, it's just somebody going, ooh, like that, like, just, just like straight through for an hour. Um, so I, I think that the, the choir works, it, it enhanced the Batman theme and made it more, and I can, I can picture seeing, I, I regret that we didn't get the opportunity to see this in the theaters when it came out. Yeah. That would have been cool. Um, but I can imagine sitting in a movie theater, hearing that come, come across and getting goosebumps just mm-hmm. because it's, it's very impactful. Um, I think that the scene with the, the police chase with Batman, there's, there's some good music points in that. Um, the scene, um, of, uh, the, uh, the the final scene of the movie uh, where Batman, where she escapes, she takes the Joker, she disappears, and Batman has to run away. The choir's kind of brought back in, and there's some meshing of, I guess, what is the Phantasm theme with the Batman theme, and that, mm-hmm. that works out pretty well. And, and then the, the end scene... Uh, where Batman's standing on a roof, it kind of mirrors one of the Keaton films and how that ended with the the bat signal off in the distance and he sort of jumps off and uses his grappling hook and swings away. Um, I thought that that punctuated it very well. But then the the credits hit and it's this weird 90s saxophone jazz (laughs) song that doesn't really fit with anything. It's very, very bizarre. Um, thought I was watching the ending of a different movie, actually. Uh, so uh, overall, because because of that, good music in spots, but missed out in some spots. Uh, I gave it seven out of ten. How about you? Yeah, I went six out of ten. Uh, you pretty much covered the the big the big moments there. Uh, the beginning and ending sequences are are very much enhanced by the music, and mm-hmm. there's a few little moments uh, when the Joker's introduced and he's taking. Uh, Sal, the the mobster played by Abe Vigoda, if we didn't mention that, um, oh, yeah. um, through through this sort of decrepit version of the of the World's Fair. Now that sort of the classic Joker theme plays on the xylophone, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's a few little touches that are nice, but yeah, the, the this the, the music really does fade into the background. This is this this movie is very much uh, reliant on the animation and the voice acting for. Those a lot of those big dramatic moments. Um, yeah. Again, not that the music is terrible or anything. No. That's, that's you know saying six out of ten or seven out of ten. That's not to say oh it's just it's just it's just a little bit. It's not as an important part. Uh, it's it's a little bit in the background here, as, as we mentioned, I think, on a few other shows. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's pretty solid, um, but not it's not the blow away start to finish that something like uh, the last laugh or uh, or forgotten was. Yep. Um, so it's, it's, uh, but it's still a solid six out of 10, uh, yeah. definitely better than average. Those parts that really bring it up real. I mean, the, the, the highs are very high. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I would, I would tend to agree with you. Um, all right. So, uh, let's talk about bonus points. Uh, I didn't have any bonus points I wanted to assign, but, uh, just, you know, overall this, this movie is great. Um, I think for a very long time it was actually the highest rated. It may still be the highest rated Batman movie on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's great. It holds up uh, with the exception of the the computer animation. I think we said at the beginning yeah. the digital animation of Gotham City is a little. Ugh, it's kind of like watching like reboot today. <laughs> uh, you, like at the time it was like, wow, this is amazing, and then you're like, Ugh. yeah, the the, uh, the Spider Man cartoon from the nineties yeah. did a lot of that. They'd have the digital or the CGI buildings that Spider Man would swing through. 
uh, it just it just doesn't it doesn't look very good and it, and to me it's like the the strength of of Batman the animated series especially the original episodes is this incredible hand drawn animation and so just right. seeing any CGI that that's that blatant CGI is it's pretty jarring yeah yeah exactly I, I would agree with you um, but I, I think overall like I said the the amount of Max Fleischer hat tips mm-hmm. in this this are, are great. Uh, you got any extra bonus points? I do have one plus one. Uh, I mentioned him a little bit when we were talking about plot. Alan Burnett, just giving giving a bonus point for him because, like I said, I think he's a little bit of an unsung hero when it comes to the DCAU. Uh, maybe I mean he doesn't have the the exact importance that somebody like Bruce Tim or Eric Radomski or or Paul Dini has, but he is. A, a huge piece. He's a huge cog in, in that in that machine that Absolutely. that helped helped all of these shows. We mentioned he he, you know, he worked on Batman Beyond. He worked on Superman. He worked on on Justice League. He worked on uh, you know going forward. He works on the, on the Justice League action show that's around now. Mm-hmm. He worked on the Batman and uh, I'm, I'm sure many other projects. So he's you know, as far as just animation in general, but especially you know DC the DCAU. I really think he. He deserves a little extra shout out, so he's uh, he'll be my bonus point for this week is uh, one for Alan Burnett. Very good. All right. So based on our scores here, what was your final score? So my final score was thirty-one out of forty. Okay, very good. That and that includes your bonus point. Uh, mine uh, was thirty-two out of forty. So we're we're pretty close there. We haven't had too much disparity. We we're talking about between our two. Uh, or most of our episodes thus far there hasn't been one that somebody loved or somebody hated uh, very much but uh, it usually turns out somebody usually likes it a little bit more than the other one did yeah. so we're right around the same spot though on this episode what about you uh, the listeners if you uh, did what do you think about Batman Mask of the Phantasm do you like it you hate it were there potholes that we missed were there characters that you loved that we didn't uh, let us know tweet at us at DCAU Review on Twitter uh, you can tweet us on there. Lots of interaction going on there. Please check us out. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash DCAUreview. Uh, we always post our latest episodes there, and it's a great way to interact with us as well. And then don't forget, of course, also to follow us or uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a five-star review. That help, helps us out as a podcast immensely. So please, we'd love to get that feedback from you. All right. You got anything else? I think we can wrap it up. Like you said, I really do encourage uh, anybody. Love love tweeting with people. We've been tweeting a little bit back and forth over the last few weeks. Uh, love getting any kind of feedback. Yeah. You have memories of watching this when you were younger. If uh, there are other there are other podcasts, other YouTube channels out there that have already reviewed this, maybe we disagree with them. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about it though. So love love getting a chance to talk with people and just explore this because that's what it is. We're we're a couple of nerds who want to discuss <laughs> the stuff that we love. Absolutely. And you know, even if you disagree with us, we're we're happy to hear the happy to hear it and happy to discuss it with you. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, love getting to hear that. Absolutely. All right. So thank you so much for listening to this supersized episode Uh, until next time I'm Cal and I'm Liam we'll catch you later bye bye